0: Hello, friend. Welcome to the She's Awesome podcast. This is Jay, your host. And in this episode, you will yet again meet an awesome women business owner who was able to transform all the difficulties that life threw at her into opportunities, adventures, and laughter. Seriously, her laugh is infectious and she is so inspiring. My friend, Elaine Walsh-McGrath, a former marketer who became a LinkedIn magician. So Elaine uses her 20 plus years of experience and knowledge that she used at blue chip clients and in leading international media and digital agencies in helping businesses to basically set sales appointments. Elaine's story is at least as powerful and impressive as her career. Mother of the six-year-old Shifra who has Down syndrome, which Elaine says makes her downright perfect, she was able to build her business around her daughter's needs and she damn nailed it. And I am so happy to welcome her on this podcast and share her story. Experts mom and warrior. Listen to Elaine's most inspiring story to just get moved. Welcome to the She Is Awesome podcast, the home for women business owners filled with extraordinary stories, giggles, and thoughtful conversations, offering inspiring takeaways for your life and your business. Hello, everyone.
1: It's Jay here, your host, and you are on the She's Awesome podcast. And I would love to welcome Elaine here. Hi, Elaine. Hi, Jay. So good to talk to you today. I'm so
2: excited about featuring on your awesome podcast.
1: Oh, thank you very much. So great to have you. So I have introduced you earlier, but you know it's never complete. So can you start by introducing yourself to the audience and also telling us how did you fall in the entrepreneurship world? Oh my goodness, what a story that is. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, there is a reason why you're here, right?
2: (laughs) It all started back in the (laughs) 70s.
1: No, don't give it away. Don't give it away. (laughs) Back in the 90s, you meant, Elaine. (laughs) Well, bless you. Bless you so much. But no, it started when
2: my dad used to pick me up from school. I just remember thinking back then, this is what I want. You know, it's so funny. I just enjoyed the fact that he was available to us so much because he had his own business. And... Yes, he was away for a couple of days in the week. But funnily enough, he used to ring us every night and we used to be able to ask for our sweet treats (laughs) as a reward. Like, so we'd be like, oh, what can I ask for? Mm, A star bar. I don't know whether any listeners remember that. So it just really was a really positive thing for me. And fast forward to many times, in fact, you know, it has been why I have always desired to become an entrepreneur. And I've had a few goes at it, Jay. (laughs) And indeed, as they say, failed forward a few times. And I've learned so much on the way. And each attempt that I have gone at it has just made me more convinced that the entrepreneurship journey is for me, you know. And indeed, I help other entrepreneurs now to grow their business. And that's, you know, where I have ended up. And it has been Great. And in many ways, I haven't answered your question, but that's where it all started. It started in the back of probably a Ford Cortina, you know, back in the 70s, driving up the hill from school. But More recently, in like 2009, I had my own social events business. Straight bang wallop in the middle of a huge recession. (laughs) But it was so much fun. And it was the first time that I used social media and I learned how to grow lists. And I hosted events for people who wanted to get together. And that was so much fun. And that was the space that I was in back then. then I went back to working for the man and it was the birth of my daughter that really catapulted me back into entrepreneurship in the more traditional sense of the word, you know, Um, I had a consultancy business before I had Chifra, my daughter, and it was a six figure business. But when my daughter was born in 2017, she had a diagnosis of Down syndrome and I realized after a year when I was supposed to finish my maternity leave that I wasn't going to go back to that consultancy work. Um, It was too intense and so was managing my daughter's needs and To anyone who has a child with additional needs, that idea that you're supposed to be an expert in all aspects that they need support in is really challenging (laughs) as a parent. And so suddenly you're supposed to be an expert in physio and speech therapy and occupational therapy. and, And you're also supposed to admin all the appointments and fit entrepreneurship in, which I really did want because it's part of my identity, like I shared with you, going back as far as when I was five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I went on a journey of self-discovery to land where I am now, which is helping businesses to grow their business, predominantly using LinkedIn and social media. And I went on a creative journey to get there.
1: And I'm so glad I did, you know. Well, we we will talk about it because we figured out that we are so, so alike when we first met, didn't we? So with your permission, and it's okay to say no to any question that might come across as too deep, too much, but I would love to really go back to... Those days where you were given the news of your child with extra needs. You know, I'm a mom and when you go to give birth, I went there saying, I'm going to work on Monday, you know, I gave birth and I like, while I was giving birth, I was still like thinking, oh, I have that appointment on Monday shall I cancel it? Oh, no, I'll, I'll just stick her on my boob and that, you know, that's it. And I had a totally seamless birth with a healthy child, et cetera. But there was absolutely no way to get back to work on Monday, right? I was like, I was a mess. I was like, literally, I, had, I hadn't slept for 48 hours, etc. So like... Already, although you do not accept that the life will change or you're not ready how much it will change, it hits you like a truck. In your case, if I remember well, it was not announced up front. You didn't know. So it was unexpected that she was going to be diagnosed with Down syndrome afterwards. So tell me a little bit more about it. How was it? Gosh, listen. It was such a journey and
2: (laughs) I have really, as you mentioned, we're so aligned. Uh, We are jugglers and I can just, from when we met, I just know that we are women who say, bring it on, (laughs) (laughs) bring it on, baby, bring it on. And that can be our superpower, but also holy cow. It can also be, you know, A very negative thing in our lives, you know, when we're not aware of it. So I'm going to bring you back before her birth. And the year prior to Shifra's birth, in actual fact, we planned a wedding and went through IVF. So, I mean, holy cannoli, it was wild. (laughs) (laughs) So I went through such a journey on the journey to have Shifra. And so I, when I sat in the doctor's office to have IVF, I was overweight. They said, you have to lose 20 kilo for, for us to be on schedule. You need to do it. I think this was like, I think this is December. You need to do it by the end of maybe February or something like that. So I was like, right. Well, it was so funny because this is the trouble, Jay, about, what we as women go through in business, but also in what we carry behind the scenes in privacy, because there's so much secrecy about like being pregnant and IVF. And the funny thing is that when we need the most support, it's when mm-hmm. we're the most private about it. And um, mm. so there I was in my consultancy business, working with huge advertisers like Volkswagen you know, a whole host of big ad clients working for a major advertising agency and running teams for them as a consultant. (laughs) Meanwhile, I was also trying to lose weight to start IVF. And like people thought I was trying to lose weight because I was getting married. No. Um, Oh my God, right? They were like, I was getting advice from people in the office about being a lollipop Bride and not losing too much weight. And meanwhile, I was like, going, I am not having that biscuit because I want a baby. And this is, I was so focused. So I dropped the weight. We went through IVF. I mean, it was really emotional. I really kept powerfully visualizing myself as pregnant. By that July, unfortunately, we had a negative outcome. I had ordered my wedding dress two sizes too big because I just visualized that I would be pregnant. It was not to be. That was a huge emotional roller coaster, as you can imagine, and so much stress. Still working in a six-figure business, and then we had a honeymoon baby. Can you believe? So no IVF. Came back and was feeling a bit off. Didn't go to my um, nephew's birthday party or something like that. I can't remember. And decided, okay, maybe we'll wait till we go through IVF again. Rang the hospital but had done a pregnancy test and went, I'm actually pregnant. And then I didn't find out. I didn't want to. I met my consultant. They talked about doing a test for Down syndrome. And I am very much pro-choice. Let me just say this up front, okay? I'm very much pro-choice. Nonetheless, for me and our family, we felt, why do we need a test? So just for me and my family, I appreciate other people's decisions but for me, I just felt, no, I don't, I don't, what would it change? Nothing. So we didn't do any tests. And so on the 13th of June, after a flipping C-section, when I held Chiefra in my arms, I looked at her and I went, Gosh, your eyes look a little bit different to ours. My husband he didn't twig anything. I mean, I'd say it was so overwhelming for him. He was basically handed chief rap and <laughs> he had to go out into a corridor. Meanwhile, I had lost a lot of blood and they had to put me back together. And meanwhile, then they brought me out into the recovery room. And every, it was so funny afterwards, I realized that. I was that woman that they spoke about in antenatal classes that might need a bit of privacy in case they had some news to show, you know, you get told that this might happen. And then later I look back and go, oh shit, that was actually me, you know, like, because they were like, where's Elaine walsh McGraw? Where's Elaine walsh McGraw? Where's Elaine walsh McGraw? Here she is here she is. You know, two doctors came to myself and Shay and, meanwhile meanwhile, I was buzzed off whatever they gave me. You know, I think I was making just, I was talking about Pilates and my, in my <laughs> I was like, honest to God, like wild, like looking back at us, it, just bizarre. And my husband and I stood there and they were said, you know, because they can't say definitively until they have the bloods back. They were like, we believe that your daughter has Down syndrome. And we were just like, Right. So, Grant, you know, afterwards, the doctor was like, it was the most extraordinary acceptance of a diagnosis they had ever witnessed in the history of the hospital, you know, that she'd ever had to get the knees to. So we were just like, right, Grant, what do we have to do so? Because honestly, that's how we felt. We were like, well, we have our daughter. Great. We wanted our daughter. Great. So uh, how do we navigate this now, you know, and I suppose then from there to now has been the flipping roller coaster, you know, because I had no experience of people with Down syndrome. So I only had all of the misconceptions and proper conceptions, if that's the word, that is available out there, you know? Mm. Um, I didn't know, and I will use the word should and shouldn't, and I don't really like those words, but in, in the context of our discussion, I hope you don't mind that I use them. I didn't realize you shouldn't say, like, is Down syndrome, that you should say has Down syndrome. It makes complete sense to me now. I didn't realize you shouldn't say special needs you know, it's a really common term, special needs mom. And sometimes I hashtag myself, you know, when I'm sharing on social media that I'm a special needs mom. But like, I understand that people who have additional needs don't feel that their needs are special. And that makes sense to me now. So like, there wasn't just like the actual dealing with the diagnosis and the medical potential issues that we had to tried to overcome. For example, she had a a tear in her heart that thankfully closed over. Like there were a lot of kind of medical challenges that we have faced and gotten through as a family, but there are layers and this is what we talk about. And indeed it does influence my business because there are layers of complexity that you have to deal with when you are parenting a child who is different from everybody else's usual experience, you know.
0: Yeah, and,
2: yeah, of
1: course. Yeah. Oh my god, women. So <laughs> the most amazing and inspiring thing right now that I am seeing is you have a smile on your face. And you know, it's like it doesn't come across as, you know, this life-changing challenge, da da da. It's almost like as you said, like bring it on, we'll deal with it and then we'll put our lives around it in a different way. So tell me again, the name of your daughter, Shiva? Shifra, it is. Shifra.
2: It is S for Singapore, I, which we have an accent called a father,
1: O-F-I. R-A. So I know Nora. that's wild. <laughs> okay. Um, no, 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 nothing is wild. I actually love it. <laughs> so now Shifra is five years old. Is she's she is right? six. She is six. She has um, just gone through her
2: first year at school in a class at neurotypical children. And she's at summer camp at the moment because I'm in Dublin in Ireland and school finishes for us on the 30th of June and you know she loves it now this is the challenge I suppose I believe she loves it (laughs) she tells me she loves it I don't know she says things like oh I had so much fun today mama I play Miles I play Ethan and that's it (laughs) and then how I have to learn from her and communicate with her and listen to her is by watching her. So you learn to communicate in different ways. It's so ironic that my superpower is communication um, in business, but you learn to adapt to a more holistic way of communication with a child who can't always verbalize or answer questions. You have to find a different way of getting
1: the answers. You know, but yeah. so you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to something. Like, I totally understand that there is the agenda clash, which is you know your child required more intense follow up with medical community, right? So you had to ha- take her to hospital, to specialists several times, several times. And there is an agenda clash, which is, in essence, practically very, very challenging then to run as a solopreneur business, which is understandable. But I want to go to a place where it's going to be a bit difficult. So this is something that I experienced as a mom, and I've heard a lot of mom experience. And then I read about it, and apparently, We are given, after birth, this extreme anxiety to be able to keep our babies alive, right? It's almost like a function of continuation. Now, I remember I struggled enormously with that feeling. I remember when Nina cried, my daughter, I would have heart popped almost like when she was a baby. Of course, I'm not talking afterwards, but like when she was a baby, baby, that little baby, I would almost have like heart pop. I would feel the urge to be around that baby. And it was almost animal instinct kind of thing. So I can't even imagine when you are given a baby that has not only additional needs, but also much more fragile with heart conditions, uh, neuro conditions, other conditions. Like, what were your pillars to cope with that from an emotional perspective?
2: Denial. (laughs) (laughs) Denial is not, you know, is a great spot to live in sometimes because if you... Otherwise, and look, you know, I guess I don't want to diminish, I suppose, especially on this podcast where we do not shrink. Okay. I should not shrink my experience. No, but honestly, honestly, Jay, I do think I compartmentalized a lot because I haven't told you the half of it. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, because like at six weeks, because it was around my husband's birthday, which was the 4th of August, we had noticed that she was having a lot of spasms. And to cut a long story short, we ended up in hospital at the heart clinic with her having a fit, Them not really taking it into consideration. Me ringing, bless that same person who gave me the news in the maternity hospital, telling her what had happened. And she got us fast-tracked back to the children's hospital, where we met another amazing doctor who got Shifra seen and got a bed for Shifra. And we ended up with a second diagnosis. So I had just like so much to deal with. So she had focal epilepsy. And again, I think it was the tiger in me because I was determined to breastfeed her, for example. Mm. And so, you know, they were telling me like, could you video your daughter having these spasms. So she was in a cot with monitors on her. I was lying on the floor on like a pull-out cagey yoke. And, you know, I had to kind of unhook her to put her on the boob and put her back in. And they expected me to wake up like literally, I mean, I guess eight weeks post C-section and film her having one of these seizures. It was bizarre. But like when you're in that situation, I think that almost like possibly the situation of when you're in fight or flight mode. I am not a doctor, but I imagine that you close down to focus on what you have to do. And I just focused on exactly what was in front of me. So it like in that situation, for example, we needed to have an MRI. And they were like, Well, we don't know whether we'll be able to do that while you're here. So I just went. Right. Let's see about that. So I just made it my mission to constantly ask them, oh, so what's the story with the MRI? When are we going to get the MRI? Oh, hi, could I just ask you, will we get an MRI and just be perfectly charming, but like, make sure she got the damn MRI. And (laughs) she did. (laughs) (laughs) You know, sedation. She doesn't need sedation. She's such a quiet baby. And she was. And she had an MRI. She was perfectly still. They didn't need to sedate her. And they found that, yes, indeed, she had focal epilepsy. And this is where I did actually nearly break down because then they said, well, we are relieved to say that she doesn't have cancer. And I was like, what the fuck? I didn't even realize that was an option. And that's when I realized what I was doing Mm. that's when I became aware of the fact that I was just focusing on what I needed to do what I needed to know and everything else everything peripheral to that I was just ignoring it because Mm. I just couldn't I wouldn't have been able to be as strong as I was to help me get through it and for us to be so strong as a family if I had let anything else play out I think you know and listen I mean also to give you an, <laughs> some insight into my character I was determined to breastfeed I was determined she was going to swim and <laughs> so even though she had focal epilepsy and we have been in hospital for I can't even remember how many days now anymore maybe a week we started water babies <laughs> you know probably eight or ten weeks and I was like, no, we are going to Goddammit. And off we trotted to the local pool to go <laughs> to, to do water babies. Because as far as I was concerned, that was part of my maternity leave. And they were the visions I had for <laughs> me, you know, like bonding with my baby. And Goddammit, I wasn't going to allow any number of diagnoses get in the way of
1: that, you know. So... And you didn't, was, yeah. and look at that. Wow. I just want to say, I'm listening to you with half tears in my eyes, goosebumps. I hear you. Like, you were in a survival mode going like, fuck the rest. This is what I need to do, right? It's like, I- I'm in survival and honor to that. So, Shifra has an amazing mom, probably amazing dad as well, and she's growing up with challenges but they're all dealt with which is amazing so that's an amazing motherhood story let's come back now to you I remember when we first met you said to me you were disappearing like you could not just do this so you had to find a way to be yourself again and work and and get back to work how did that journey happen how did you get because you know, returning to employment, right, is hard. I mean, people struggle with it. They don't find the same colleagues, you know, and, and they it's a breakdown. Returning back to your business is another breakdown because you have lost some stuff, you know, it's another level of breakdown. Returning to something that you can no longer maintain because now you have another type of maternity and motherhood that you need to live with a baby who will probably demand your attention much more than what you had planned and creating a totally new thing. I mean, come on, tell me more about this because this is going to be gold for those who are struggling to return as well. Well,
2: okay. So I think That certainly in my personality, there is a maverick. (laughs) You know, I mean, I had such an amazing business. I loved working in advertising. I loved my colleagues. I loved my clients. And I was bloody good at it. I was, you know, so much so. And yet, let's come back to your shrinking thing and owning that. Part of me was not aware of how amazing I was at that, until I rang a former boss of mine because I had started to get this idea that I just couldn't see. And when I say this, this is the power of hindsight, Jay. Because in the time I don't, I think I was kind of seeing. I have a very positive outlook, so I was going, okay, Shifra's additional needs are giving me a gift where you know, while I loved working on these big clients, in many respects, it wasn't the same love I had for advertising when I started out. It wasn't Mm. as creative and fun anymore. And it was more hampered by international strategies. And I just didn't love filling out the PowerPoint document with the international strategy and applying it in Ireland anymore. I just didn't. And I didn't really want to become, and this is no disrespect for anybody that this works for, but I knew I was really good at systems and operational stuff. And I knew I could do that as a background role, but I just, there was no joy in that for me. I just did not want to become Miss Spreadsheet. That would just have sucked the absolute life out of me. So I started to evaluate what else I could do with the skill set I had. One of the things that I looked at was becoming, and this is so ironic given what I do now, but was becoming a mentor. Um, I had to go through a tender process. It was for a local enterprise office in Ireland. I had to go through a tender uh, process. So I had to ask people to give me references. So I rang an old boss of mine and what he said to me, It's so interesting. I actually didn't believe it, but he said, Elaine, they are going to be so lucky to have you. You are one of the best marketers in Ireland. (laughs) I was was just like, what have you been smoking this morning? You know, I mean, I just, here I was, like, probably hair tied back in the mum bun, like, most likely vomited on, you know, maybe Schieffer was asleep, and I was just like, what, really? (laughs) I just, you know, I'd forgotten that part of myself, you know, I didn't believe it. I'd lost my confidence, which is so ironic, but maybe I had been pouring all my energy into making sure that, you know, Chifra was thriving, you know, that must have been 2018. And and I was doing that whole thing, that mum thing of going like, OK, well, what do I do? Like, I'm going to put her into crash. And oh, God, like, is that the right thing to do? And, you know, all this stuff. And so in September, I think it was 2018, she started a crash. And I was like, OK, right. Bless Dave and his Prophecy that I'm amazing, but I don't believe that. And I didn't get the mentorship. And I was like, okay, that just underpinned my disbelief in myself. So I went, you know, I've always wanted to do a train the trainer course. Hmm. And then in a mum and baby yoga class I had done with Chifra, the teacher had said to me, you know, Chifra could really benefit from kids' yoga when that stage comes about. And I was like, okay. So I got an email about a kid. I feel it was an email or did I search for it? Irrelevant. I did a kid's yoga training, right? And so most people who would have been in that class <laughs> would have just heard, okay, when she's five, bring her to kid's yoga. No, no, not me. <laughs> Let's teach kids yoga. So I just went off on this nourishing, creative journey where I just decided, no, marketing is not for me, which is so ironic. As Now, in hindsight, and like with the perspective of other people, I can see what was happening. (laughs) But like then, I was just like, no, no, this is me. I am yoga. I shall be a kids yoga teacher. And I love kids. absolutely adore them. So off I went. But what did I do, Jay? I created an amazing brand. Fancy that. I did it all myself, built the website, built the brand, created the logo, advertised, got people who never knew me from a bar of soap to a haul locally they signed up for my classes go talk my way into two schools <laughs> talk them yoga the, the marketeer who's doing yeah. yoga <laughs> Poor exactly. yoga teachers. exactly right but then went okay kids yoga right no I need more revenue I didn't think I was going to go the way of her name escapes me at the moment with this amazing Australian woman who has an amazing YouTube yoga presence and so I trained as a, in a baby massage instructor and pregnancy yoga. And just as March 2020 hit, I had started to really build. Like it was at the point where I was in two schools. My classes were selling properly. I'd only been in business like since like March 2019. And things are really looking good. I had forward bookings and then you know, March 2020, need I say anymore? Everything closed. And I sat with Shifra and Shay in a real place of fear, like I'm sure many other people. But in addition to the fear that we all had, my daughter has respiratory issues. So and in 2018, she'd been hospitalized for Pneumonia, and we discovered she had been aspirating, so some of her food was going into her lungs. So we had seen her on a ventilator, and we never wanted to see that ever again. So we were hyper vigilant around that whole period of time. But at the same time, back to the identity thing, I was like, I can't sit here, <laughs> I just can't. I was like, So, and then thankfully. At the same time that I reached out on LinkedIn, that lovely platform, to say to all my connections, how the hell do I teach online, you know? And people came back and said, oh, you know, Google, Meet and Zoom and this and that. So funny, right, that we didn't know what Zoom was back then. I went, "Okay, okay." So I bought a decent phone, improved our Wi-Fi and... Meanwhile, a woman who wanted pregnancy yoga said, is there any chance you would teach us online? And I'd never taught pregnancy yoga before. I had just qualified. And I went, okay, Elaine, her need is greater than your fear. Her need is greater than your fear. Come on. And so I was like, "Yep, yeah, sure. So I taught. <laughs> I taught people and I supported pregnant women in a terrible time during COVID when they weren't allowed to have their partners in the same room as them when they were birthing their babies, sometimes for the first time. I supported them through that period. But again, guess what, Jay? (laughs) I was marketing the hell out of my business. Now I brought and created an online business. Like what the actual? Um, So on I went in this discovery of online businesses Websites, sales funnels, funnels, like I did a course on improving my sales funnel and I created, (laughs) this is, I haven't told you about any of this. I created like a breathing for birth course and I created a workbook and guide, which I've sold as passive income. All around the world, you know, like in small amounts. But I've done the passive dance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like you would say, Elaine. Seriously, at that stage, did you not realize that you were a marketing genius? Like, did you not think of that call with Dave O'Leary telling you that you were amazing? No, I bloody didn't. I didn't.
1: Now you were a yoga teacher at that no, moment. A yoga you teacher were really focused on the yoga teaching. Yeah, exactly. So what was the passage from yoga teaching to Elaine, the marketer tiger? (laughs) (laughs) Was like the realization that teachers were coming
2: to me going, oh, listen, how, what, like, how are you even doing this? You know, I had, I built relationships with other teachers But the real aha moment and kind of forgiveness moment for me was that, that whole nagging idea of I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. Was a narrative that was playing in my head, even about yoga. And I, you know, I was too heavy to, I was too old. All the twos, the negative twos. Why do we listen to those instead of the positive twos, you know? So I did a course, a yoga 200-hour course during COVID <laughs> with an amazing woman and team facilitators in Canada called Hearts and Bones Yoga. And on the marketing call, I had an epiphany where I was like, I, for some reason, decided at some point along the way that marketing was not good It was not worthy. It was a, and I'm using inverted commas here, air quotes, it was a bad way to make a living because of all the bro marketing, you know, all those people out there manipulating people or so I saw it to spend their money. And it's my inherent superpower. (laughs) And so after like having Chifra, I just had this like, a moment of going, I just can't do that anymore. I don't believe in it. I don't believe in, you know, like encouraging people to buy stuff that they don't need or want. And I had built up a really negative mindset around that. And then on that call with Bree Johnson, she said to me, Elaine, you know, gosh, and I feel a bit emotional telling you this, Jay. She said, Elaine, it's okay to be really good at marketing. That's your yogic power. She's like, it's okay for you to help more people, to help people. Maybe that's your yoga, you know? And I was like, going, yeah, I actually realize my strength is actually marketing. And that I can be good at both. I can be passionate about yoga and be passionate about marketing. And then as I leaned into that, I realized that I wasn't reading yoga philosophy at night. I was reading how to email market. <laughs> you know, ha- like five ways to build a sales funnel. Like, oh, let's read that book. And everyone else is like, oh, stab me in the eye. I would rather like, you know, die than read that book you know, boring crap. Whereas I was like, going, oh no, let's, let's AB test this, shall we? You know, <laughs> and, uh, and so slowly, but surely I realized, okay, even though I have a yoga membership that was to support parents of children with Down syndrome and I had people signed up to that, I had them signed up from that point, which was September. I had them signed up till May 22 and I realized, look, Elaine, the world has opened up now and you've given people what they needed in a period where they needed you to do what you were doing. But in actual fact, more people need you now to get them to improve their business. And slowly but surely, people who had been paying me consultancy fees and I had started to, you know, I had like a, an online program for yoga teachers a small one. But I realized, okay, increasingly, actually, that's my strength is taking all this 20 year plus knowledge of marketing, that inherent ability to communicate and see what needs to be improved back into my career and
1: own the fact that I'm amazing at that, you know. And that's how you started. That's amazing. That's a great story. It's really similar (laughs) to mine, because as I told you, I have gone through the yoga journey as well. But I'll, I'll tell that story another time. This is really amazing. So very quickly, I mean, we're coming towards the end, but very quickly, I wanted to ask you a few more things. The first one is, how do you help people right now? I mean, I understand and I experience that you are uh, a great marketer, but how do you help them? Do you do for them? Do you train them? What is the uh, model that you are using right now?
2: So what I do is I help people land more clients. Mm -hmm. I have different ways of doing that. So I generally work with people on a one-to-one coaching basis over six months where I show them how to use social media to gain visibility, to be more visible, to get clarity around their message, to communicate their message, the more important message that will build their visibility and reach. I'm trying not to use the advertising bullshit words, reach, and get confidence in that implementation build connection through action taking and then iterate. So rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat until they get so good at it. And while I do that, I also am working with them to help them to improve their production, their creativity, but also to take action, like picking up the phone, the stuff that people just don't like to do. So I work with people a lot on confidence. But here's the thing. What I've realized through the networking that I do and just working with people is that when you meet somebody and you network with them and you get to know them, invariably, when you've decided they have the solution for you and you go searching for them, you Google, you do a search and what will come up is their LinkedIn profile. And what I found is that a lot of people's LinkedIn profiles are just not right for what they're doing now. They're not up to scratch. They talk way too much about themselves and not how they actually can help people. And they invariably just are not professional enough. And that made me think, okay, I need to show people how they can basically access more business, more high ticket business more value for their company by just taking simple actions, like improving their LinkedIn profile, learning how to produce better content and how to connect with people on LinkedIn. And that's mainly what I teach these days, particularly in my group program, LinkedIn to Leads, and I, you know, Jay, I do workshops as well on, you know, like how to have a LinkedIn profile or how to improve your discovery calls and that kind of thing to help people to really do what I did, which was go and find high ticket clients on LinkedIn, you
1: know? I think what I would want to say is, and I really relate what you were saying. So what I discovered is, especially because I work with women Women business owners, they come to me, they say, I suck at sales, right? And I go, let's see about this. And then we go into their business. And what I see is, in general, their conversion rates are very high, like at 90%, 80%, you know, really, really high conversion rates. Basically, once they speak to people, in general, people buy from them. And then they keep the customer. They're really caring about the customer. They have an excellent customer experience policy. What they suck at, and this is like a general thing, is the marketing bit. It's bringing the people to have a conversation. So like generating the leads, warming the leads, you know, till the sales conversation. And what I see is what you're doing probably predominantly on LinkedIn is that part where people actually sucks. It's kind of from top till almost like one level up to the bottom of the funnel. And then the sales is to them to convert and which is really needed. So that's a great, great thing that you are doing. And thanks God you dropped your guy and you're back into the marketing because people need you. Well, right. We're 50 minutes into our discussion I guess we could go on for another 50 or three more 50 minutes, but we're going to start wrapping up. You've gone through a lot. You have tried and, and no, wrong word, not tried. You have come through a lot as well. What would you say three things that became almost a transferable skill in terms of like fighting through?
2: Um, so I have learned a lot and I'm still learning. Be kind to yourself in every situation. Remember that everyone is doing their best, including us. (laughs) If you can just say that every single day in every situation, you'll just feel better because everyone is doing their best with the information that they have available to them mm. and even if it frustrates the hell out of you you if you can remember that other people are doing their best then you'll feel better mm. <laughs> mm. that's number one number two is you don't have to take everybody's advice you can completely ignore it <laughs>
1: and i recommend that you do <laughs> I love yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you. Not ours, of course. Because no, 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 no. Take ours and write it down yeah. and cherish us. <laughs> <it. laughs> We're not mortals. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're immortals.
2: <laughs> but you know, for example, back to 2017, one of the nurses, for some reason, took it upon herself to tell me that did I know that children with Down syndrome couldn't be breastfed? And I looked at her and went, bullshit inside because I was respectful and I just went hmm I see could you just get me the pump please Mm -hmm. thank you so much and I breastfed my child for nine months so bullshit to that so you don't have to even if they seem like they should be an expert you have to trust yourself So that's number two. And then number three is just have fun. (laughs) Life is short, you know, like try to see the best in the
1: situation and just try to get some belly laughs into your day, you know? (laughs) I love it. You have this infectious belly laugh. I love it. Really. That is an amazing end to this discussion because at the end of the day, you know, no rush. We're all going (laughs) to die. You know, don't take it that seriously. And even in the shittiest situation, there's always a little bit of love to have. So that's a great advice. Thank you, Elaine. One last question. And you might know now this question because you have listened to different podcasts. eh? For those who are listening for the first time, the question is a signature question of this podcast. And it goes, hand-in-hand hand with the name of the podcast. The reason why I asked this question and the reason why this podcast exists is A, to bring wonderful, relatable role models in front of many women, but also B, to give a little push to those role models to own their greatness because we do lack that... Ownership of our own awesomeness. So, without further ado, let me ask you, Elaine, why are you awesome?
2: I am awesome because I have a proven ability to improve my clients' business dramatically, might I add, and effortlessly with encouragement, kindness, and a wealth of knowledge. I can turn people's business around within a month. And I know that to be true because I have done it. And that is why I'm awesome.
1: <laughs> that is awesome. She worked her business. <laughs> that was written and known by heart. <laughs> it repeated several times. But you are awesome, Elaine. Can I add also, you're awesome because I guess you're very resourceful. And you have an incredible source of strength in you that gave you, you know, I'm not I'm not a religious person, but there is a saying that I love uh, is God wouldn't give you challenges if he didn't know that you couldn't face them. And I, I do believe in that. Like some people are made to go beyond those challenges to create amazing things in life. And I do believe that you're one of them. So you're awesome, Elaine. And thank you very, very much for being here, being my guest and sharing so openly your extraordinary story with us. Oh, thank you so much, Jay. I really appreciate it. See you soon, guys. Meet us back here next week.
0: Well, my friend, thank you for listening to this She Is Awesome podcast. If you want to share your extraordinary story and dare to inspire others, send an email to hello at academywee.com. You can find the email address in the show notes. Well, let's meet here again next week. Take care. Bye now.